0: Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. All right, so today we are going to be talking about dominance theory, which is a pretty big topic in the horse world. And I think we made an episode on it possibly a long time ago. I don't even know for sure, but we're going to talk about it again and I think last time we might have focused more on like herd dynamics or like feral horse behavior a little bit more and we can still talk about that as well but I think there's a lot of good topics to cover here so we can I guess just start.
1: Yeah I remember specifically talking about the remote controlled car study mimicking Monty Roberts techniques so maybe we can start there.
0: Oh yeah (laughs) that is a good classic one. I mean do you want to do you want to start and just kind of give the overview of this? Yeah, I don't have the actual study
1: in front of me, so it's all just from memory. But the researchers basically had a remote controlled car and did like round penning exercises, similar to Monty Roberts or other natural horsemanship people would do. And ultimately, they were able to teach the same behaviors by like chasing the horses with the remote controlled car, how you would with your body language and whip. So they were kind of just saying that it's not about the body language and the communication so much as it is more operant conditioning based it's not about being a horse or acting like a horse it's just operant conditioning
0: basically yeah exactly and I think that's such an interesting study because there are so many theories within horse training or not even necessarily theories just kind of like gimmicks almost that the trainers will put forth like natural horsemanship trainers do it a lot like you mentioned Monty Robertson join up which is what that study's about and they're like you have to be dominant over your horse by using horse body language and you know showing them that you're the alpha and you're in charge and they have to follow you and respect you so it's really relying on a lot of dominance theory principles there which I mean I guess maybe we should even just like say very briefly like what is dominance theory which I think most people who would listen to this probably know very well what dominance theory is but it's basically i mean you could i guess define it different ways but it's basically the idea that whatever species you're talking about be it like dogs wolves horses or whatever they're going to establish this very specific hierarchy within their group and they're constantly basically fighting to become the alpha or to get to a higher rank within that group and it's very structured and there's a very clear order of like this one is the alpha and then this one is second and this one's third, etc. And it's, I think, very common, even more common in the dog world, but also common for sure in the horse world. And then also dominance theory kind of includes humans into that kind of thinking like, oh, humans should be in that top position above where the alpha of the herd is. The human should be in that real top position above everybody else. And then therefore gaining the respect of Everybody under them. I feel like that's just kind of like a basic non scientific description of what it means. And honestly, you can't really give a scientific description of it since it's like absolutely not at all scientific. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, that's all true. And it's a really good way to describe it without trying to find a scientific definition. Because, like you said, it doesn't really exist, it's been debunked. But it's weird to me that it came into the horse world when it really started with wolves and chickens. (laughs) So I don't know how it got into this world but it's here and unfortunately a lot of people buy into it so yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah that is very true. I mean I have tried to look for information about how it came into the horse world and it's possible that it's I mean it's definitely very possible that that information is out there and I haven't been able to find it but yeah I don't really see how either considering like you said it came from completely unrelated species but I think maybe it could have something to do with the fact that horses do engage in a good bit of resource guarding in domestic environments where they have limited access to food and space and water and other resources that they might find important. So maybe, you know, if they're seeing that resource guarding, and I know from my own experience, when I was younger, and people would tell me, you know, this is the alpha mare or whatever, like when I was taking lessons as a kid, It made sense to me because I would see that horse pinning, you know, her ears at other horses or at people or whatever. And I would see that and think, oh yeah, you know, that kind of makes sense. So I think maybe it just kind of seemed like it made sense and it just slowly kind of made its way into the horse world. But I mean, when you really do look at horse behavior, especially feral horses, it's really not following that. And I think it's really important to understand that when we have like this preconceived idea in our heads that other people are telling us, like if they're saying dominance theory is a thing and horses are being dominant, like we may kind of misinterpret what we're seeing to fit that narrative when really that's basically very anthropomorphic because horses don't even have the ability to understand such a strict hierarchy and the concept of like trying to get power or whatever. Horses are really just trying to basically trying to survive, trying to have their food, their water, the resources they need and basically avoid punishment, get reinforcement. I mean, they do have other things as well, like social behaviors, things like that, but they're not like power hungry. That's a very like human type of behavior. So it's not really, it doesn't really make sense to put that on to really any animals at all, but especially horses when they are such a peaceful social herd prey species.
1: I was going to say, too, that I think it could be related to anthropomorphism because we have some sort of hierarchical system, like we have employers who have bosses above them or in families, we have parents and then grandparents. So I think we might have just pulled some of those elements from our own lives and
0: put it onto the horses. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we look at our own society, it makes sense. And I mean, I think there are a lot of beliefs in the horse world that we may have previously believed or even currently believed that are not really backed by science but it just makes sense based on our limited view from like being humans and really only having the knowledge of our human world and then you know other humans telling us that it's true so yeah I think I mean it doesn't really make sense how it got there but it also kind of does but yeah I mean it is funny because even if dominance theory was true for the species that it was actually studied in like wolves and chickens and whatnot that does not mean it would be true for horses but considering it's not even true in those species it's like why are we even still considering it for horses Yeah, exactly.
1: I know with the wolf study in particular, the main researcher actually came out and said that the study was faulty and there were a lot of issues. So he'd like retracted a lot of what he said. And now it's still present in the dog world, especially for that study, but also in horses and chickens and probably every other species too.
0: Yeah, I've seen that as well with I think I think his name is David Mech, And he is like, please do not believe in dominance theory. I know I was like, partially the founder of dominance theory, but please don't please stop and nobody listens to him anymore. So that's really unfortunate. But yeah, I mean, he was studying like a pack of unrelated wolves in captivity, which is not really accurate to how wolves would naturally behave. And like we've talked about on the podcast and like a lot of people in the horse world talk about, when you have animals in a domestic environment or in captivity, that's not meeting their basically species needs. Of course, there's going to be some kind of strange behaviors happening there or like different behavior than what you would typically see that species doing in, in the wild or in their natural environment. So I think that's probably a lot of what David Mech was seeing with the wolves is, you know, they were showing a more strict hierarchy or what appeared to be a more strict hierarchy and basically probably resource guarding and then interpreted that as being the strict hierarchy when really that was created by the domestic environment. And I mean, I would guess probably even within the domestic environment, the humans were still misinterpreting like what they were seeing in terms of how strict the hierarchy could be. I mean, now that I know more about horse behavior, when I do see a herd of, you know, a good number of horses, like maybe six or seven or more horses, like I can now thought, oh yeah, right now this one is pinning their ears and chasing the other one away from the food. But you know, in the other situation, this one's doing it. And so like, it kind of makes me think of I was at a clinic and somebody asked who's the boss in the herd or whatever. And somebody else replied in what situation, like in what context, because there's so many different ways that animals behave and interact that just saying this one is the boss in every situation makes no sense. Like there can be different things that different individuals have more experience with or more confidence with, and they may take a little bit more of a leadership role in that situation. Whereas in other situations, they may not really know what's going on or not have experience in that area. And even in one area, I think it's been shown with both wolves and feral horses that there is a pretty good kind of sharing of decision making within the group, like there's usually not one that's making all of the decisions. It really depends on the context.
1: Definitely. It feels like if there is a leader, it's fluid and depends on the situation. So that actually brings me to one of the studies I read where they were talking about that. And it was interesting because even they were like, well, what does leadership mean? And they looked at three different things. So they looked at Which horse left first? Which horse was in the lead position when they were moving? And which horse showed pre departure behaviors before moving? And ultimately, they switched it up a lot. They changed pretty much all the time. There's a couple that were more consistently like the leader quotations but it was usually just adult horses and it always changed depending on the context so like that study it was looking at horses not with people but it just tells you that it is fluid if it exists at all I forgot to give the name but it's called this leadership a reliable concept in animals an empirical study in the horse and I'm not going to say any of the names because I will butcher them all but it's from 2015 and they were studying two different family bands of shawalski horses I think that's how you say that?
0: I think one of the first times that I saw horses kind of showing fluidity there was with my mare Coco. Um, When I first got her, she was having a lot of physical issues in a lot of pain, and she exhibited a lot of resource guarding behaviors. She was in a very, very small, I guess, herd. It was three horses total, so it was her and another mare, and then little pony gelding, and she was very much, you know, like, quote, unquote, boss of that um, little herd. She essentially was resource guarding. And to me, I was like, Oh, she's the alpha. Um, And then actually, after we treated her medical issues, and she became much more comfortable physically, and also a little bit of her management changed, and I became a little bit more knowledgeable about training and you know, how to interpret and work with some of the behavior she was showing, she actually completely changed her sort of way of interacting with other horses. And she just became a lot more peaceful. She didn't ever really, you know, chase anybody away from resources. She didn't really do any of those behaviors anymore. And I even moved her again to another barn where she joined a slightly larger herd of maybe like eight horses. And again, she did not engage in any sort of resource guarding behavior there, at least not that I saw or that the barn owner saw. So it clearly wasn't, you know, an ongoing problem kind of like it had been before, So to me, that was really interesting when I would tell people like, you know, she used to be the alpha and now she's not. They would just kind of look at me like, huh? Because they just people really have this very strong belief that like this is such a strict and structured thing when really it's not. And I really like that you talked about the feral horse behavior, because I think that those studies can be so important to really see like this is how horses are behaving in their natural environment so i think that's really important but i also think it's very unfortunate that there are still a lot of studies out there and a lot of researchers who are still using dominance theory language and still kind of like interpreting how horses interact as a strict hierarchy even though there's a lot of evidence that that's not scientifically sound so i hope that that will kind of decrease in the future
1: Looking through all the studies, there is definitely a lot that we're focusing on hierarchy and using words like dominance or submission and things like that. And it is unfortunate, but I mean, I have a hard time even reading those because I worry that the information just is outdated and not correct, even if there is things to take away from it. So that's really unfortunate and disappointing, but... Thankfully, there are some good ones out there. I think, too, it's important to recognize dominance for what it is, because the way we see it, it's based on hierarchy and being the leader, respect, things like that. But realistically, it is just resource guarding. So whoever has priority access to resources is going to be the dominant horse in a scientific standpoint.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And you can definitely see that by how they supposedly test it. I mean, scientists have tried so many times, in my opinion, and in a lot of very, you know, scientifically based people's perspectives, that has not been proven. But they basically like, well, there's a few ways that they try to test it, but it all involves food and access to resources. One big way is the bucket test, which the bucket test is taking all the possible pairs within a herd and basically like putting a bucket of food between them and then seeing which one actually gets to eat from the bucket and which one basically gets chased off from the bucket so the dominant one eats the submissive one gets chased off like classic resource guarding that's you know a pretty common way of testing it but there actually have been some few some more studies that looked at both the bucket test and then also looked at how horses were behaving more in their, you know, kind of natural environment, like not in a situation that was engineered by researchers, just seeing how they were behaving in their herd. There was a paper that was written by Devin Bailey for an undergraduate research journal at University of Northern Colorado. This person was trying to study dominance hierarchies in horses and compare and contrast some of the different methods for assessing dominance hierarchies. This person from my, from what I understood, Seemed to be pro-dominance theory and seemed to believe that they were going to, you know, be seeing a dominance hierarchy. But their results kind of found that in some situations, the horse did seem to be the, you know, quote unquote dominant, but in another situation or another way of testing, that actually did not hold up. I think that is really important that, of course, when we put a bucket between two horses, one horse is probably going to eat out of it, and the other one is probably going to chase the other one away because of resource guarding. But that doesn't really reflect how those horses may actually be behaving in their typical daily life. So it's just kind of a very specific situation that they're looking at and then trying to kind of transfer it to or generalize it to all behavior or to like how that horse is like personality wise or whatever, which is just not, doesn't make sense. It's not going to generalize like that.
1: When you were talking about Coco too, I was thinking about how people almost think of hierarchy, like it's a personality trait, like it's born into them. So that's something that I don't know, it's just interesting to me because like you said with Coco, she was the alpha in quotations and then wasn't after some training and looking at her health and things like that. So it's just important to recognize that it's not a hard and fast rule. And like we've been talking about, it is related to resource guarding in most cases. So it's really fluid and it's going to change oh, no matter where you put your horse, like different herds, different barns, different resources. It's going to change if you change your training. like It's not always going to be consistent. And it's also going to change from horse to horse. So it's not the alpha, and then everyone under in a certain order. Each horse has a different relationship with every other
0: horse in the group. That is really important to point out that, like you said, each horse has a different relationship with each other horse. I mean, there's not going to be this clear like pecking order supposedly happened with the chickens where, you know, they're going to like chicken A pecks chicken B and chicken C, chicken B only pecks chicken C, chicken C pecks nobody and only gets pecked. Like that's not going to happen. It's like life is more complicated than that. Animal behavior is more complicated than that. But, I mean, like we've talked about, humans really like to kind of simplify things into something that makes sense and is easily understandable. And also when you kind of throw in some faulty research, that kind of gives people fake credibility to their ideas that, you know, really is just not accurate. So I think that is important to point out that it's really going to be these specific relationships that are more so how the horse is interacting and even though hierarchies are more natural to humans and humans can like cognitively understand hierarchies much better than as far as we know horses can I still think that that's also oversimplifying human behavior in human society like we do have hierarchies of like oh yes like you said the child the mother the grandmother the great-grandmother or like no, in the government president vice president whatever like there are hierarchies that exist but in terms of like people's relationships and things like that, I do think that there can still be a lot more nuance to them than just, I guess, showing those hierarchies and, you know, all of those, like basically just generalizations about it. So I think like humans could probably benefit even in their own society from trying to take a little bit of a step away from looking at everything in that really strict way and kind of looking more at the individual relationships and things that are going on.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's much more complicated than we make it seem in our own lives and in horse-to-horse relationships. It's not always hierarchical and it's not always this horse is the leader, that one's not, or it just, it changes all the time. And also we're not horses, so we can't be the
0: leader anyways. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like even if you do believe that horses have a strict hierarchy of dominance within their herd, that also does not explain why humans are a part of that. Like it's, it just makes absolutely no sense. Like we're a completely different species. We're a predator species. They're a prey species. It really just does not make sense that they would see us as a part of their hierarchy. We're also typically not like in a competition with them for resources. I mean, it's possible we could be, I guess if you're training with food rewards really poorly, then maybe that it comes across that way. Or if you're basically having really forceful or like really strong pressure training, maybe, but in general, we usually are not having that type of interaction with our horses. And it's just, yeah, it doesn't make sense at all to me.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at click, treat, Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt.
0: We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training!